0: Greetings, this is John Hodgman, famous minor television personality, former employee at Smitty's Market in Lockhart, Texas for one day only, and host of the Judge John Hodgman podcast at MaximumFun.org. This is Tribcast for Election Night Week 2016. Whatever happens on election night, 40% of your neighbors will think that society has collapsed. Have fun. Now here's Emily Ramshaw.
1: Hi, good morning, thank you all for being here for our uh, live edition of the TribCast. And if you're tuning in via live stream, we're thrilled to have you all here. I'm uh, here with CEO and uh, Evan Smith, who's been introduced. Good morning, good
0: night, I don't
1: know. <laughs> uh, Executive editor, Ross Ramsey. Howdy. And we have two uh, very special guests for this first round. Uh, we have Deirdre Delisi, a, a Republican consultant who's a former Perry advisor. Good morning. Good morning. And we have Brendan Steinhauser, also a GOP consultant who uh, previously worked for Senator John Cornyn. Good to be here. So I want to, I mean, I guess the first question is sort of what the hell happened, uh, but I'll sort of set it up by saying, you know, you two in theory are the victors today, right? But probably neither of you are feeling particularly victorious. How, how did everyone get it so wrong?
2: I, I think this is a case, we've, we've seen this for a year or 18 months since Donald Trump's been in the race. He's been an unconventional candidate every step along the way. And every step along the way, the political professionals <laughs> said, well, no, you can't do that. That's not the way it's been done for the last 100 years. And he threw convention out the window. He took the rule book, burned it. And, um, you know, we kept on thinking, oh, well, you know, he'll be a flash in the pan. He won't win the nomination. This strategy only works in a primary. It doesn't work in a general election. I think we all just completely misunderstood. to quote <laughs> The former president, the electorate this year, and how absolutely fed up people are with politics, with, with politics as usual. And, um, and I, I think what we saw was a complete repudiation of what's going on in this country. And, um, and you know, everyone, I can't, almost everyone got it
0: wrong. Who is we? You said we misunderestimated, we got it wrong. I mean, we, as obviously the press, all the press, of us, the professional pundits, political class, pollsters, but pundits. also, you know, Emily didn't say this directly, but I'll say you were not a Trump supporter.
2: Um, you know, uh, I, I.
0: Well, you either were or you weren't.
2: I'll be very honest. I voted for Trump because I was more in the never Hillary camp rather than the never Trump camp, and I had this theory of I wanted to send a message to Democrats that Texas is a Republican state, so. I didn't when I cast that, that ballot did I feel great about it no did I think he was going to win no
3: well
0: that's news were you a trump person i was not you were not a trump person see that's the i wonder if republicans got it wrong as in some instances as much as we in supposedly the supposedly brilliant press class. corps got I, it wrong.
2: I'm I'm you know based on some of the things you were hearing out of the trump campaign yesterday and the day before yesterday i don't i don't even think they had an expectation of winning don't you
3: think
0: they thought they were going to lose till some point in the day yesterday
2: it kind of felt that way
3: I do. I think it was not a big surprise that Trump did well in a lot of the battleground states, Florida, Ohio, Uh, new hampshire what what really surprised me was winning pennsylvania doing so well in michigan wisconsin i mean the rust belt states that he talked about winning i think a lot of folks looked at that and said but history says otherwise when they actually started to go on offense in those states when he did as well as he did in virginia especially early on in the night that's when people started to take notice and say there's something here i think look for us to sit up here and say we have all the answers would be completely uh would be more hubris than we we uh, should do this morning or any time in the future i think we really need to look back and say what are the questions that we need to that we need to answer? You know, looking back and looking at the data afterwards is going to be a lot easier than trying to predict, and that's one of the big takeaways for me this election. So, you know, some of the questions I have are: What happened to Democrats? Did Democrats uh, stay home? Did Democrats vote for Donald Trump, especially union households and Rust Belt states? Um, was the missing white voter an actual a theory that actually played out to have uh, some real effect? Um, was it the fact that Hillary Clinton was seen by non-political people as corrupt and as a, pol- as a lifelong politician who was crooked Hillary. I think there's something to that. When I'm seeing on, on Facebook, you know, people that uh, were never involved in politics, fam- family members and friends from high school and people like that who are not ideological one way or the other, not political non-partisan saying, you know, things like lock her up, it really started to get my attention. And I think there's something more going on out there uh, than, than we saw.
1: What in particular was going on in Texas? Because despite seeing this, I mean, we saw wider margins in in states like Ohio than we saw in Texas. I mean, obviously he underperformed here. So what was different in Texas than in some of these other states? You, you know, uh... This is again is just total conjecture at this point. But I think
2: we are blessed to live in a state like Texas as a growing, healthy, vibrant economy. I think the mood is different in places in states that don't have the same, aren't experiencing the same kind of economic growth. In Ohio, in Wisconsin, in these Rust Belt states, in Pennsylvania where you've had for a long time a, 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 a class of people who have not felt the benefits of any economic growth. Who you know were disenchanted with the Republicans, and now they're showing their disenchantment with the Democrats, and are willing to throw in with someone who's not a politician to do something completely different. So the, that's my gut reaction: is that that the, the folks in these states were 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 Republicans have toiled for years to try to win, and then here comes Donald Trump with no real ground game, no real you know you know, whiz bang technological. advancements in his campaign that would indicate that these huge victories would happen. It's what he he appeared to represent to these folks. And on the flip side, this pervasive problem that Hillary Clinton had, that she was just not trusted, not just by Republicans, not just by independence but people in her own party.
0: Except the polls, the exit polls, and why are we even talking about exit polls because everything we think we know is not right. So why am I even quoting exit polls? Right. But in the exit polls, he was seen as less trustworthy than she was. He was seen as less fit to be president than she was. I mean, all the indicators would have suggested that the problems you're identifying for her, which are undeniably true, would have also been the case for for him, and they said, I think 38%, the poll that was the takeaway yesterday was that 38% of people polled nationally thought that he was, in essence, fit to be president.
1: Right, Two thirds of people said he was not fit to be president. And
4: yet he won so, almost 50%. So of the clearly Bible some of those vote. people Again, rule right. out the window. I mean. Well, and it's also, it's also, you know, they hated him, but they hated her more, Right. And, you know. The Texas numbers that really were kind of interesting to me was Clinton improved on Obama's 2012 numbers a little bit better than Trump improved on Romney's 2012 numbers. Harris County flipped hard yeah. and was a was a 1,000 vote margin in 2012. Uh, yesterday went strongly for the Democrats, wiped out the courthouse, um, took the DA with them. Uh, Fort Bend County flipped. And I think the, the there's lieutenant
0: some... governor's son ended up losing. Oh, right, oh, right.
4: Yeah. Um, Ryan Patrick, and you know. I, I think one of the things that's happened in Texas that people are going to look at um, is what's going on in inside places like Harris County and Fort Bend County. In some ways, the map of Texas last night is starting to look in miniature like a map of the United States. The urban areas are going for Democrats and for blue. Tarrant County is the big exception to that. The suburban counties aren't. But the big metros are going for and going pretty strongly for Democrats. And the rest of the state is deep, deep red.
3: Yeah, I think that that trend is going to continue. Texas is urbanizing. We have a lot of people moving here from not only California, Illinois, New York, but also India, China, South Korea. I mean, our Asian American population is booming. Our Hispanic population is growing. I think that plays into it. Um, What Deidre said earlier about the economy growing here, too, there is less of that frustration and resentment that that is around the rest of the country. Um, And so you also have the, the legacy of Southern conservative Democrats that are a dying breed here in Texas, but I think a lot of those folks, especially in the rural areas, were not going for Hillary Clinton. So you put all this together, um, and it just it makes for a changing state. Texas is one of the more interesting states, I think, in this election.
0: You, you both have worked for conservative politicians and conservative groups. And there was anxiety on the conservative end of this conversation about whether Trump was actually a conservative. Do you feel any better thinking about the conservative principles that you embrace now that he's won, do you have confidence that the conservative view of the world is gonna be reflected in his administration and his choices for the cabinet, in his Supreme Court picks, or do you have the same anxiety about him and the the Trump administration that you did uh, going into this?
2: Well, two observations on that. Number one, I I think we have gotta wait to see who he surrounds himself with. Who's who's gonna make up his cabinet? Who's gonna make up his senior staff? Who's gonna be advising him day in, day out? Sid Miller. my second observation is See you, that, you next administration, right? um, um, I, You know, I think the Trump phenomenon is less about conservatism and is more about populism. And he tapped into that. And this has been growing. I, I remember first noticing populism as a significant political force in Perry's re-election in 2006. And so it's been growing. It's been out there. It's, and... Um, and and I think it's really come to the forefront. And it's weird that a billionaire from New York is now the face of the populist movement. But you know, it, it is what it is. Yeah, it
4: was Ross Perot a while back, right?
2: Right. So it's all about the billionaires, I guess. I, you know. I, but um, um, you know. So, so I I, th- I think maybe it's it's less about conservative principles and more about populist principles with with Donald Trump. But at the end of the day, you know, who he surrounds himself with. And I'll tell you what. Right now, I think the most important person in this country is Mike Pence. Because this is a guy, he, he was a sober, responsible choice for Donald Trump to make as a vice president. He was a sober, responsible candidate throughout the whole process. And he ran around the country doing what he needed to do, which is bringing Republicans home. He will, I, the, every indication is that he will have an outside, outsized influence as vice president And if that continues, I think conservatives can feel good. That'll be a strong conservative voice in the White House um, talking to Donald Trump on a daily basis.
3: And I think it'll be a mixed bag. Look, if you're a free trade sort of person like I am, you're probably not going to get what you want out of this administration or Congress. If Uh, But on the other hand, if you're looking for a good Supreme Court justice, um, we might get that. I think there's enough support and enough pressure out there from the conservatives, uh, from Congress, to say, let's get somebody great on the court. Um, If you support term limits, if you support school choice, you know, Trump has been on the right side of those issues for a lot of uh, conservatives. But it's going to be an intellectual debate, I think, uh, within Congress, within the party, within the movement. And I think that um, we're just going to have to look for, for places to drive the agenda from the ground up, from Congress, um, but at the end of the day, he's he's got the biggest microphone, the the bully pulpit, and he has quite a mandate uh, to be frank. When you look at the number of people that voted for him, the the geographic diversity of his of his win, um, and I do think a lot of folks in Congress are going, going to be looking to him to the agenda as opposed to the other way around, which which is what I would prefer because I think we'll get better policy if it comes from um, folks like Paul Ryan, uh, who he has been at war with. But if they make a peace deal and he says, "All right, Paul," Give me your best ideas, and he runs with those. Then I think a lot of conservatives could be happy about that.
1: Well, uh, we have a few minutes left here, and I do want to touch on some down ballot uh, races. Were either of you, or any of you, surprised by the Will Hurd outcome? Uh, what surprises did you see in Texas down ballot?
2: I, I think Will Hurd holding holding on is probably the biggest story coming out of Texas. Um, I think um, I, I know Ross disagrees with me, but I, I mean there were on the on the legislative side there were three races that we were going to lose no matter what. We picked them up last time in in a gubernatorial year, and it was going to be hard to hold on to them. Um, Those those races are? Oh, I'm sorry. Pena, um, Lujan. Well, Lujan was a little bit of a different. And Galindo. Thank you. Um, I think the fact that we only lost one additional House race is a real victory and a real testament to to conservative leadership in Texas. I would have... Initially, there was there was a fear a couple weeks out that that number would have been
0: much higher. Well, especially given the fact that Trump's margin was about half of Romney's margin right. four years ago. The thought was, if right. he didn't win by double digits, it put more people right. At and risk, at the right? end of the
2: day, this sounds crazy to say, but Donald Trump had coattails. Not only in Texas, but throughout this country, oh, he
0: got Pat Toomey reelected. He got Ron Johnson reelected. And he got so, of, he, absolutely, he had coattails.
2: I mean, no one saw that coming. But I think, from the Texas perspective, that and you know, and what, what concerns me as a Republican is seeing what happened in Harris County. That was um, that was that was sobering. That should be a wake up call.
3: Well, on the coattails issue, I will say that you know the you know we do a lot of social media, digital media marketing uh, with candidates and causes, and I will say the the most negative feedback that we got was when our clients uh, criticized Donald Trump for making those statements or distanced themselves from Donald Trump. It was overwhelmingly negative from the base, from the voters. People wanted to see uh, the Republican uh, members of Congress, legislators, stand by him. Um, And I think a lot of members of Congress around the country saw that. That's why you saw most of them not distance themselves from him. They were listening to the base of the party, they were listening to Republican voters who said, you know, essentially we're tired of the political correctness, um, you know, they extended that a lot farther than a lot of us would be comfortable with, but that was the message was, look, she's getting away with everything, uh, the media is completely on her side. I mean, all these things that he said, the base was saying, and and I think that ended up being a winning argument, not only among the base, but al- among a lot of folks who probably voted for Barack Obama, believe it or not, in 2008 and in 2012. I think we'll go back and look at that, and you'll see a lot of people in Michigan and Ohio and Florida and elsewhere, people that are not... Partisan, they're not necessarily ideological, but they really did see uh, this as a referendum on the Clintons They see this as a referendum on the status quo and the establishment And they wanted to elect the the outsider, the true outsider, the one guy that could blow it all up Um, They may or may not regret that vote in the next two or three years We'll see, Um, but it's crazy to think about We could have a a Trump-Hillary rematch in four years
0: Does Perry go into the cabinet, Deirdre?
2: I, you know, I don't know I've but I've said from day one and Rick Perry is a fantastic public servant, and that's what he loves to do and he does it well and I think President Trump would be well served to have someone like Rick Perry who has a long service uh, record of service, successful record of service, and you know if it's something he wants, I hope it's there for him because I think he'd be fabulous.
1: And what
0: about Ted Cruz? Is he appointed to to replace Scalia or Ginsburg? <laughs>
2: Uh, you know, he I has don't... to
0: get
4: Senate confirmation. <laughs> yeah. No,
0: I think they'd give that <laughs> Yeah, but him. if the Senate does not like him as much as they <laughs> say, they'll be more than happy to confirm yeah. him, won't yeah. they?
3: I think it would be a stroke of genius for, for Donald Trump to put Ted Cruz on the Supreme Court. Um, he's brilliant. He, he is, uh, you know, that was his biggest rival, of course, in the primary. I think if he did that, he would unify a lot of the parties. Certainly the people that were not happy for with Trump, who didn't support him in the primary, who stuck with Ted uh, all the way. Uh, until Ted did end up endorsing Trump. I think folks like that, um, and, and including including the conservative intelligentsia if you will, folks who are looking for um, a very uh, accomplished, smart uh, conservative to be on the Supreme Court and to make those kind of lifelong, generation-long decisions on public policy in this country, I think that would be a huge win for Trump. I also think that it would be important for Trump to, um, to work with You know the leadership where he can to work with Paul Ryan and try and get some of those ideas through Congress I think he certainly has the again. He has the mandate He has the ability to go to war with all these guys But I think that it would be very smart of him to try and unify the party first And then keep his governing coalition together and try and get something done Uh, because he has some he made some big promises this this election cycle Well,
0: And this is the first I couldn't believe I read this this is the first time since 1928 yeah. that the Republican Party has the White House and both Houses of Congress.
2: And so don't forget the pick the pickups in the governor's and races. Tw-
0: Twenty-four hours ago we were talking about how the Republican Party recovers from this, right. and now we're talking about how the Democratic Party recovers from this.
1: Well, that's a perfect transition because we need to bring up our uh, Democratic panel, uh, so please stick around. There will be a QA and a that includes you at the end. Uh, meanwhile, I would love to bring up uh, former State Senator Leticia Vandepute and State Representative Donna Howard.
0: So which day after the election stinks for you more, Leticia, this one or two years ago?
5: Two years ago was personal, but I mean, we knew what the odds were. This one, uh, we really thought that uh, Hillary Clinton had a chance to, to make history.
1: I mean, the... the- The numbers, the the projections were, you know, ninety percent for Hillary, seventy percent for Hillary, eighty percent. What happened? How did everyone get it so wrong? How did this go from a night that you all were expecting to be victorious to what many Democrats are feeling is sort of despair? I think if the
5: election were held two weeks earlier, the polls might have been correct. But certainly, the last two weeks of the campaign, you saw. Um, more email disclosures, you saw a lot of questioning. And I think the brilliance of Kellyanne Conway of going into states where they saw a little bit of erosion going into the Rust Belt and uh, really doubling down on on some of their ground game there where they had none before really paid off. Uh, But when you look at the map, there's about 150,000 votes if you take some key states that had gone the other way, we may be singing a different tune this morning. So understand this was a very close race. Uh, Although the Electoral College is uh, significant and uh, certainly deciding, this is a divided country. So the real work begins today and how Republicans, both with the presidency and both chambers in the federal government, can govern. And the backlash I think for uh, Republicans in Texas is who's the bad guy? If your whole uh, playbook here is bashing the federal government, how do you bash a Trump administration? How do you go after a uh, Trump EPA? How do you go, and so their playbook will have to change. And in two years are the voters who may not see 11 million people deported who may not see the trade packs undone, uh, who may not see Dodd-Frank undone, will they all of a sudden say, you see, they've become part of the swamp too. So I think the real challenge will be in the next two years to deliver on some of those promises and then what happens to this very, very finicky electorate when the very difficult promises may not get done.
4: What's the, what's the democratic version of the autopsy? You know, after Romney lost four years ago, the Republicans went through this famous self-examination autopsy, they called it. Came out with a report that Trump basically threw away, but they basically said these are the things that Romney did wrong. What's, the, what's your first blush take on the democratic autopsy? What went wrong this time?
5: I think that when, uh, you always do a post-mortem, right? right. Um, we had signs of a huge populist movement in the primary with the surge and the votes, uh, on the, certainly the candidacy of of Bernie Sanders. We, I think that that was evident. Uh, and, but for a tragic family loss in Joe Biden, we might've had a Joe Biden out there, but we, the Democrats did number one, did not have a robust primary as the Republicans did. Uh, and all politics is local. So if you take state by state by state by state, uh, that's where I think it's going to be. What happens in Texas in four years, in six years? What happens in the Rust Belt? And what happens to those blue-collar workers in the Rust Belt when they wake up and those CEOs tell them, it's really not the trade agreements. It's a technology and uh, a different type of manufacturing, a robotics manufacturing that is eating our lunch. It's, it's not necessarily the skill set that you have and not a trade agreement. It is an information and a technology economy that's driving the jobs in a different direction. Mm-hmm. And how are those, those are the challenges. So I think for us it's going to be what happens in Texas. Certainly we had wins in Harris County, Bear County, but the Rust Belt is going to be a totally different autopsy than what happened in Texas. What happened in Florida is gonna be a totally different autopsy than what happened in Pennsylvania.
1: Well, speaking about Texas, I mean, Representative Howard, do you see a silver lining given te- Texas's margin was, you know, narrower than it's been in two decades?
6: Well, I think uh, were the ultimate results uh, different than they turned out to be, that we would be up here talking some about the positive things that did happen in Texas in term- from a Democratic perspective. I mean, Ross mentioned a while ago about the increased uh, numbers that voted uh, for Clinton above what Obama got, right. uh, signif- significantly higher right. than it's on the about, Republic-
0: Yeah, about 300,000. Right.
6: Yeah, something like that. Yeah, right. And
0: also, she did about four percentage points better than Wendy Davis did two years ago. Exactly. Right.
6: And held it to uh, a single digit.
4: Uh, yeah. It's close. It's 9 yeah. or 10. Right. Right there. Close. Closer than we've been. It's the closest presidential race since Ross Perot was running as a third-party candidate.
6: So I think there are some things that we can look at this, that, that indicate that Texas did do some things that we could, as Democrats, take some comfort in, if you want to use that kind of a term. But uh, <laughs> this is not going to change a whole lot about what's happening in Texas. Uh, the the legislature is going to be very similar to where it was before. We lost our only statewide uh... elected official but of course that's somebody who was elected as a republican and switched Um, you know i i I think we're going to be in the legislature doing exactly what we were going to be doing regardless and that is playing defense because that's what we have to do in the minority that we are and i don't see that being any different maybe we'll save some money because we won't be suing the federal government as much i don't know and we could use that for some things that we need to pay for here (laughs)
0: a republican consultant texted me last night when it became clear that Trump was going to win to say the democrats will now suddenly be more competitive in texas in 2 years as a result of it being the midterm of election in the first term of a republican president well certainly that happened last time but did uh, you nec- i mean i wonder about that do you necessarily think that this is a silver lining for democrats that trump being in the white house presents more of an opportunity for the democrats to come back sooner
6: you know I- For me, I think that the biggest problem is redistricting, and we're not going to be changing the lines before we have that election. So my concern is that we might have that opportunity, depending on how things go over the next two years, and we'll certainly want to be looking at that. But at the same time, if we haven't changed the lines and they're drawn to be non-competitive in the first place, then I don't know how much gain we'll get. We thought we would have more gains this time. But again, part of the problem has been, we do not have competitive districts, and when you don't have those, it's hard to make those gains.
4: What kind of gains were you expecting? I'm curious, because Deirdre and I were having a conversation before we came up. I was expecting four to six. She said six to eight. What were you guys expecting? This is in the Texas House.
6: Well, we were obviously looking at three that we thought were for sure, right? and then probably had another... Three to four that we were thinking could happen. I mean, the most optimistic numbers were probably way out of line, and we weren't right. really thinking that. But, um, you know, I brought up some numbers that I wanted to remember because this is all just new and I don't have enough time to remember all this. But one of the things that we did gain were women in the legislature. And I've seen a lot of things written about about what happened with the demographics, but I haven't seen much written yet about women, and I wanna make sure that we recognize that we did make some improvement there. We have seven new democratic women in the, in the House, a, f- a net gain of five. Now, we're still lower total, wi- uh, dim- total women in the legislature than we were at our high water mark, um, I guess that was in 2009, before the 2010 elections. Um, so that, I think that's a positive thing. I'm glad to see that because I think it's important that we have more women lawmakers. And uh, so that's a good thing. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to mention but that.
1: I mean, but what message then does the national election send to women or to women in Texas? Well, I, I,
6: you know, again, the autopsy I think is gonna be important to see how women actually voted. Uh, on the way here on the radio, I was hearing that uh, contrary to what, what we were, being led to believe that there was actually a, a large uh, amount, a large number of white women who voted for Trump. And that was not what we were expecting to have happen. Um, I don't know what that's gonna mean. Uh, certainly this, the Supreme Court nomination has impact on women's health issues that we're gonna be looking at and that are, are, are very concerned about what could happen there. Um, I don't know what it's gonna mean overall. Um,
0: can I ask a, a different version of this question? So, uh, sort of the demographics of this electorate, um, the 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 state is changing, the population of the state is changing, um, yet the the leverage that the Democratic Party enjoys as a result of that population change really hasn't materialized, or assumes it's going to uh, enjoy is not materialized. We heard so much in the, in the run-up to election day that the early vote was so heavily Latino around the country that that was going to essentially put, we heard Florida and North Carolina to, to name two states because of the early vote, that those states were basically in the Clinton column, don't even bother to have the election on election day and it turned out to be wrong. I just wonder how you process the results, both of you, the results of this election from a demography standpoint and what you think it augurs for Texas.
5: I'd like to take a stab at that because where we saw a huge amount of Latino vote uh, made the difference in Nevada with electing the first Latina uh, U.S. senator, uh, a congressman who was actually born in uh, Mexico, and Nevada solidly in the D column. We saw a huge increase in certain states in the West, certainly Colorado, Arizona. Florida was very competitive. Uh, And I think when you see that I-4 quarter, we'll see that the vote, uh, that Latinos aren't monolithic, that there are Puerto Ricans and Mexican-Americans and Dominicans and Colombianos and Cuban-Americans, and the Cuban-American vote may be a generational vote. Um, But in Texas, we're primarily Mexican-American. And I think that what we saw here in and Trump's depressed numbers from maybe what would, was really some of the hurtful things that he said. Um, certainly coming out of the box, you know, accusing, you know, rapists and criminals. You can forgive somebody in the heat of the moment for making an, a, a comment. But when he goes after a judge and says that that judge cannot be fair, well, most of us respect Justice Eva Guzman. And if Texans really believe what Trump said, then we would have to believe that Eva Guzman could never give a white guy a fair deal because her parents were born in Mexico. And and I think that Texas is very, very different and the Latino population here is different in that we are seventh generation, we're a third generation, and we're also first generation. I think that what we're gonna see is a big difference between, on women, uh, on African-American women, Latinas, and white women. So it may not be a, a gender question on this particular uh, election with vote for Trump, but it may be more of an ethnic or racial. I, my, my best friend is Republican, and she voted for Trump and will always be a Republican. And she was just appalled by some of the things that he said, and particularly toward women. And, but she said, hey, you know, come on we dated guys like that.
2: <laughs>
5: and when you think about it, they grew out of it. And they're successful businessmen now, right? He's, we, seven, he's, right, he's 70. Right, right. He said, he,
0: A young man so, of 70, so, he has time Ray, to grow out of it. That's right.
5: And she said, you know, I voted for him, and I don't like what you did, but number one, two words, I voted for him, two words, Supreme Court. And maybe when he gets there, you know, there'll be people he's he he'll be like and she named a bunch of the guys that we dated in college you know they're okay they're successful they they grew out of it i don't know and i said gosh i hope you're right
1: i mean how much of this is is tied to hillary clinton being a flawed candidate obviously both of you were excited about the premise of having a first female president was she the wrong female no
6: (laughs) no and and you know i realize we all live in a bubble to a certain extent um I feel real fortunate to have a lot of Republican friends, certainly Republican colleagues. Drew Darby's here today. There are a lot of people I work with and interact with that I think I get a broader perspective from. But quite frankly, I've never totally understood the narrative around this because, uh, to me, this is as as we kept trying to say, one of the most qualified people to run for this office and someone who has uh, achieved much, despite what the narrative seemed to have been. Uh, why we couldn't create a narrative that allowed people to get behind her, enthusiastically, I still don't quite understand, because I was enthusiastically behind her. I did see her as the right woman at the right time, and it's gonna take me a while to figure out, as I hear from all the people who are analyzing it, what actually happened to her. Do you think she why. lost or he won? I think it's a combination there, but I think she certainly had lost, uh, lost to a certain extent here because of the narrative. Uh, uh, people keep saying, she, you know, we have these two unlikable candidates. We have this unlikable woman. And I could not, I still cannot grasp what they were talking about. I can't get it. I mean, I understand she made mistakes. You know, yes, so did he. Why were hers so egregious that this just glommed onto her and it didn't let go? And I can't help but raise the specter, as, as we have several times in this campaign, of there being a difference in how women are, are uh, perceived, how women are treated, the expectations of women, uh, you know there certainly seemed to be a certain amount of sexism present in this race
0: ross you know the the line that i hear now echoed on the tv and we'll be hearing this for days is that democrats took him literally but not seriously yeah. and republicans took him seriously but not literally That's i mean it it, it it just may be with regard to how Secretary Clinton was perceived, and with regard to how he was perceived, where you stand is where you sit. It may be the simplest answer, may be the correct answer in this case.
4: Yeah, and I think there was a certain amount of timing in this race where, you know, you went from a question, you know, in September the question was Trump or Clinton. And then it looked for a while like the question was gonna be Trump or not. And people were saying, you know, is it appropriate to elect this guy or not? Are you gonna vote for him or are you gonna vote against him? And then in the last two, two and a half weeks, it flipped to Clinton or not. And, you know, the conversation was about Clinton and her qualifications, and I think solidified a lot of Republicans who were on the fence. We kept seeing this number, it was less obvious by the time we polled, but showed up in some of the polls that preceded the University of Texas, Texas Tribune poll, there was a fairly large number of undecideds, which kind of struck me funny until you got into the numbers, because it looked like, you know, how could you be undecided between these two? And a lot of the undecideds were Republicans who hadn't committed to their candidate. And you know, I think a lot of them came home in the last two weeks.
1: Well, Evan and Ross, I love you, but I'm going to boot you from the stage. I'd like to bring uh, Brendan and Deirdre back up, and we are going to open it up for questions. We have one first question that is coming to us via social media, so uh, Bobby's going to kick us off with that one. Go ahead, Bobby. This is a question coming
3: from a live stream. Um, how quickly and what action do you think the Trump administration will take regarding Obamacare?
1: How how quickly will the Trump administration act on Obamacare?
2: <laughs> uh, the day, I mean, it, I, I view this election as we are the, the Republican Party is the dog that caught the bumper. Okay. Now what do we do with it? And. I, you know, like two or three weeks ago, I was on a different podcast where I said, "Oh, two thousand and eighteen is gonna be a bloodbath for the Democrats." And here I am today saying, two thousand and eighteen could be difficult for the Republicans if the Republicans don't show that they cannot if they, if the Republicans show they can't lead. And so I think you know, the Republicans have about eighteen months to show that they can do something to replace the Affordable Care Act. I mean, it's not just a matter of get rid of it and move on. It's, you know, get rid of it and come up with an alternative so it's not a long period of time to start acting on these major promises that we've been making for many years and and so i think um, it's it's gonna have to be fairly quick
3: yeah i think i think um, repealing and replacing obamacare will be at the top of his list It's certainly at the top of the list of congress out of all the things that donald trump talked about this is something congress really wants to do um, i think you'll see that happen very quickly and also When I talk to grassroots voters out there who were Trump supporters, who were furious at the establishment and furious at their own party, they would say they didn't deliver when we elected them in 2014. We had the House and the Senate. Now that we have the White House, expectations are going to be very high that Obamacare is repealed and we expand health savings accounts. We are allowed to buy health insurance across state lines. We decouple health insurance from employers. All those reforms better happen. Otherwise, the voters are going to be apoplectic.
5: I think one of the changes that would happen fairly quick is more flexibility within the Medicaid program, maybe block grants to states, and that will put pressure on states uh, like Texas who have said we can do it better to prove up can we do it better. And uh, right now our uh, systems that we control, particularly our child protective system, is in disarray, that's gonna cost more money. So just having the money to do so, uh, we have a complex set of uh, reimbursement schedules to hospitals. Uh, If doctors think they're going to get more autonomy, that may not be the case. And I think the real people who are scared this morning and frightened to their core are the CEOs of the pharma companies. Both Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump said they're going after pharmaceutical drug prices. Uh, They cannot address uh, Obamacare without Uh, going back on the thing that you can't negotiate fiercely on those prices, and he said so. So I think you'll see that in the stock market immediately this morning with those pharma companies. So that, I think, will be an indicator of how quickly they can move. But understand, that's also U.S. jobs. That's tied to U.S. pharmaceutical manufacturing, research dollars. So just to say that we're going to totally repeal Obamacare, there are so many variables in there that it will take – maybe more than just the first 90 days to do so. But I think what we may see is some block grants come our way pretty quickly.
1: Let's take another uh, question from the audience. Yes. Hi, um, so it's looking
3: like, um, uh, let's see, Clinton suffered her biggest losses in places where Obama was strongest among white voters. So it's beyond just deplorables. Um, Can you just speak to the economic reasons for um, that, that you might attribute to this um, election.
1: So what role, right, what role did economics play and, and people in some of those Rust Belt communities play in this switchover from folks who voted for Obama and then uh, voted for Trump?
3: Well, I'll be happy to take that on first. I, there's a great book by Charles Murray called Coming Apart which talks about uh, over the past 30, 40 years the discrepancies between kind of the white working class and the, the so-called elites or the new upper class. And I think this is, this is something that speaks to the heart of the Trump campaign uh, when he's talking about jobs leaving Michigan and Ohio and Pennsylvania, manufacturing jobs not only over the last few years but the last few decades, uh, when he's talking about trade deals. When he, and I think also some of the, uh, the rhetoric on immigration has to do with um, the idea of competition for jobs, and you can debate that. But I, I do think economics played, um, a, it played the most important role in this campaign as opposed to other issues like... Uh, national security, healthcare, energy, any of those types of issues. Um, I think he was speaking to people basically saying, you know, you the taxpayer, you the small business owner, and you the factory worker, you've been left out. You've been screwed. Uh, while Wall Street gets away with it. While, you know, big corporations, big unions, I mean, basically he's, he's made this populist argument that ties all of the um, anything that's big uh, together and puts it in Washington, D.C. and New York City and says, those are the elites, the coastal elites have failed you. Their policies have failed you, um, and they know exactly what they're doing. I'm going to fight for you, and I may be a billionaire, but I'm from Queens. And, and I think that people bought that message, and people uh, believe him and believe him, and I think, he again, he's made some big promises, and now he's got to deliver for those voters because they could very easily go back in four years to somebody else.
1: Representative Howard, I mean, how have Democrats failed to connect with those voters, with those people, with that sort of resentment and frustration?
6: Right, well, you know, here in Texas, uh, we've talked continuously about the fact that the Democrats have not done the kind of job that they need to do in creating the message that resonates and that we are actually all on the same page and we're actually conveying to Texans what it means to be a democrat and what democratic values are and what we offer I think this has been a challenge for years for the Democratic Party Uh, but I do find it uh, interesting here when thinking about it from the the national level and and then going back to Texas you know here in Texas when we have such a large group of people who are uh, lower socioeconomic who can't get health care coverage who have children that are in uh, low-performing schools who can't afford to go to college. Um, The list goes on and on. And we've got the CPS system that was mentioned. Um, Here, it seems to me that those who are in that position uh, have a Republican-led legislature and statewide leadership who have not offered them that hand up. In fact, we're constantly challenged in the legislature to figure out how to get the necessary resources to folks so that they can get on their feet. They can uh, attain the American dream, the Texas dream, uh, be part of the so-called Texas miracle. Um, So I I find it uh, kind of contradictory in a sense to what I see at the national level. Um, I I don't know what the issue is here though. I can't, again, I, I think it's our message. How do we get it across that that, that Democrats are actually there fighting for those that uh, need that hand up. Um, it is, we're not getting that message out there. We did make some gains this time. We have, instead of 51, we have 55 Democrats in the House. Um, we got, have three new Hispanic net gains, uh, but we still have uh, myself being the only Anglo-Democratic woman in the entire legislature which is where I started in 2006 as well. Somehow we're not connecting, and I don't know what the, I don't know what the answer is to that.
1: Other questions?
6: Yes, sir.
7: Ross pointed out the fact that uh, Trump underperformed in Texas, only getting 9%. Uh, Fort Bend County, for the very first time, has flipped Democrat. Harris County went Democrat. Dallas was at 61% for Hillary. Travis County was at 69%. So Brendan and Deidre, if you're gonna have lunch with Tom Meckler, the chairman of the Republican Party this week, what is the first thing the Republican Party has to start thinking about doing? Because Donna mentioned the midterm elections coming up in just two years. So what is it that you start doing next week uh, to address this trend that seems to have taken over? I mean, I was laughing when people said, you know, Texas was turning purple. Uh, it, it appears that that may be the case. And then the second part is, Senator, Representative, what does the Democratic Party do starting next week to, to build on what appears to be some kind of momentum? What
1: are your marching orders?
3: So I'll take that one on. Uh, something I'm very passionate about. I think Republicans need an urban agenda, and I think we have one. And I think that Tom Meckler and the Republican Party of Texas have done a good job with the outreach side of that. Now we need to take the policy ideas directly to urban voters. What am I talking about? School choice, getting inner city students, getting uh, minority students who are in failing schools to have more opportunity, that creates lifelong opportunity. Um, Transportation, fixing transportation, keeping property taxes low for homeowners, Um, and also criminal justice reform. That's something that Republicans have led on. We need to lead with those issues with voters in urban areas, talk about uh, those issues pocketbook opportunity pocketbook issues and opportunity uh, to urban voters and that's how we we compete I do think there's a huge rural urban divide in this country you'll see that in the data in this election nationally you'll see that in Texas as well that rural voters overwhelmingly will go Trump city urban voters are going uh, Democrat and going Hillary Clinton and I think the Republicans um, you know it's it's one of those hard things where until we're sort of forced to deal with that in a real way we, we won't um, but I think we have to get started now because you know, four years from now, it's going to be more difficult in Texas. Eight years from now, it's going to be even more difficult. Why? Texas is urbanizing. Te- the Latino population is, is growing. The Asian-American population is exploding in this state. And where do a lot of those folks live? Cities, suburbs, Fort Bend County, one of the most diverse in the state. Um, so we have a lot of uh, good things, obviously, that came out of this election for us, but we have a lot of work to do, and it really behooves us to get to work tomorrow uh, to deliver that urban agenda to voters.
1: What do Democrats have to do tomorrow?
6: a uh, similar to what he just said um, i think we have to make sure that we have that message that i still contend we do not necessarily have when you ask anybody on the street maybe even somebody who is not politically involved what a republican is most people will give you a quick answer to what that means to be republican when you ask the same thing about being a democrat it's oftentimes well it's the opposite of as opposed to what do democrats actually stand for and i like to say over and over again that democrats stand for healthy families equal opportunity and responsible government whether that's the right message or not i don't know but we have to have some kind of a message i think to move forward and we have to be able to make sure that we are conveying to the citizens of this state what we are working for at the legislature and pocketbook issues absolutely i think that's critical for us to do but we are going to be there working to make sure that we have strong quality public education for all the students in the state that we have to work toward getting uh, accessibility and affordability in higher education we have to invest in the necessary infrastructure to help this state continue to grow those are the things that we're going to have to do and fight for i know we're already prepared to do that but we've got to convey that to the citizens of the state to make sure they know that we are there fighting for them.
5: I think one of the things that is a great difference is that Republicans have been very successful at bringing the message to the individual and the individual family. And Democrats talk about a greater public good, about what is in the future, something that is hopeful. And Republicans have very successfully, this election and past, have tapped on anxiety, fear anger i think that the democrats are going to have to look at how do we tap into that individual and their feelings and lot not maybe by data or what's going to be good for the future or outside But what's happening now in your family, in your neighborhood, in your community, whether it's a rural or urban, and make it very personal. Because going for the greater good and let's hope for the future hasn't really been very fruitful for us as a state. But we've got to start thinking more about individuals and what it means to them personally.
1: I think we have time for one more. Yes, ma'am. Do you think that if we had two presidential candidates, the same we have with the
5: same experience, the same... Uh, qualifications, but both were male, we would have had a different outcome.
2: I I, I don't buy this immediate narrative that has formed that America is all of a sudden this incredibly, we're racist because Hillary Clinton was elected. I mean, I I think that is insulting to voters to automatically label people, I'm I'm sorry said racist, sexist, because you didn't vote for a woman, just because she's a woman. Um, I think Hillary Clinton, if her name had been, I was going to say Bob Clinton, Bill Clinton, I mean, <laughs> she brought some significant liabilities to the table that a male candidate would have had as big of a problem with as she did all campaign long, struggling with the issues of her credibility, the email scandal, and what appeared to be an immense amount of rank corruption coming out of the Clinton Foundation. So I don't think. I think any candidate with that kind of baggage would have had the same problems she had. I, ju- I, I just do. Um, and you know, and I, I will say, you know, the narrative for so long was with, uh, you know, Trump wasn't gonna accept the election results unless he won, so he, he accepted them. Um, and, and now today we wake up and it's flipped over, and, and I'm listening to commentators, I'm listening to voters, and listening to people on the radio saying he's not my president, I don't recognize him as my president. I think we need to get past that as a country. I mean, you know, this is our system, it is the way it works, and you, you, voters can't be labeled one thing or another because how they vote for people. They vote based on their own personal interests, generally speaking, and who they think that is gonna be the better choice, even if it's the lesser of two evils. And so I, I think it's time for us to sort of move back beyond that narrative and, and hopefully take people at their word and you know, try and come together and see if we can b- make something happen in this country.
6: Well, I would agree that we don't want to generalize and uh, classify people who voted a certain way as racist, sexist, that sort of thing. But at the same time, I do believe that there was some sexism involved in the vote, whether it's overtly or, or something that people are, haven't brought to the surface yet. Uh, I think we've seen it in the legislature. I know Leticia experienced some of that on the, on the Senate floor where, where women are treated differently in the legislature they are. And I think there's still a hard time some people have with seeing a woman uh, in the presidential leadership role and knowing that she would be above them, if you will. And I I do believe, whether as I said, it's overt or covert, there is a a certain amount of sexism there. And when I try to reverse in in my head and and see that if Trump is a woman and Clinton is a man in this same race, um, I think that that we would see some of the things that Trump said and did a lot differently if it were a woman saying that. And I do believe we would have treated a a, uh, male Hillary Clinton candidate much differently than we treated her. Overtly, covertly, I think sexism was definitely a part of
1: it. Well, thank you all so much for coming. Please help me thank our panelists for joining us this morning.
6: Thank you very much.
1: Thank you.